Hello and welcome back to another AB Talks podcast. Global calls for sustainability and net zero are increasing worldwide, with governments around the world driving sustainability whilst the private sector helps increase this change. And one I saw almost 70% of businesses in G20 countries have already committed to a net zero target, with the remainder also in progress of setting their own net zero targets. In the context of sustainability, though, there's one key trigger, and that's the energy transition and a global shift away from fossil fuels. We've got renewable energy, hydrogen, carbon capture technologies, all highlighted as potential drivers of this change. The situation is still quite nascent, with new work needed to be done, especially on the newer technologies such as hydrogen. Joining Arabian Business today to dissect the future of energy is Joe Annis, the President and CEO of Europe, Middle East and Africa for GE Gas Power. Joe, thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you today. So to start with, Joe, I'm just probably going to throw quite a holistic question at you here. What kind of potential do you see for hydrogen carbon capture technologies in the Middle East, specifically in regards to the energy transition and ongoing decarbonization efforts out here? Yeah, so I, look, it's an obviously a very exciting topic for, for us at this moment. Um, I think holistically, gas power um, has, a, has a role to play in the transition, but specifically speaking about uh, hydrogen and carbon capture, I'll start with hydrogen. Um, you know, I think the, the ability for gas turbines is being operating on hydrogen is being questioned. Um, the reality is actually that they're already operating. So GE has uh, currently over 100 gas turbines today that are capable and are actually burning um, some blend of hydrogen in the fuel. We have over 8 million operating hours globally um, of gas turbines that are operating on hydrogen today. So, so I think the good news is that in terms of technology and capability, that, that already exists today. Now, what we're working towards, obviously, is as we introduce higher efficiency gas turbines, um, moving up. So today, currently, we have capability to run at about 50% of blend, with obviously a target to get to 100% over the next decade. So I, so I think that, that's an important piece. You know, there's also lots of talk about different colors of hydrogen, right? So which, which is really pertaining to the source of hydrogen, where does it come from, right? So blue hydrogen, green hydrogen, um, and potentially other. Those are, are not a challenge. It, it really, it, it comes down to the cost uh, to produce hydrogen from those sources. And obviously green hydrogen is very attractive given the source that it's coming from, coming from renewable energy, um, but it's still about two to three times more expensive than blue hydrogen. And blue hydrogen is produced from combination of fossil fuel and carbon capture solutions, which I think is the second part of your question, right? It, the role that, that carbon capture and that technology can play um, is, is crucial really in the, the hydrogen production, as well as um, in, in this part of the world, obviously you have uh, oil and gas reservoirs, some of them which have depleted and having the ability to, car to capture that carbon into those reservoirs is a useful use of that. And then you're, you're able to produce um, what's referred to as a blue hydrogen that can be burned in, in gas turbines. 
So, I mean, we mentioned there the, the blend of hydrogen, the colors of hydrogen, the, the rainbows of hydrogen. Regarding CCUS and the blue hydrogen in particular, is that really where you see the immediate opportunity? Is that where the future of hydrogen is in the region for now? Or is green hydrogen really, with the huge investments we see in solar, for instance, is that, is that where, in all likelihood, we're probably heading? No, I, I think it's a combination. I don't think it's it's one size fits all or one color fits all, right? So, so I think as you think about the technologies and the geography, it obviously has a role to play. Now, obviously, here in the GCC, I think we have a unique situation where you have you have vast uh, areas available in terms of land, both onshore and offshore, um, for for wind and solar. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you have um, oil and gas reservoirs, which could be utilized for the carbon capture as well. So I think it's going to be a combination of the two. And just like any technologies that are being introduced, um, as, as the technologies mature, the cost curve starts to come down. So I think, I think you will see the opportunity for, for this region to participate in both, both green and blue hydrogen. So, I mean, I don't think anyone could argue here when you brought up in your answer about the opportunity for renewables in the Middle East. There's huge tracts of land, especially with solar and enormous amounts of solar coverage. Talk to me about what gas power is doing to support the renewables and to help accelerate the energy transition in the GCC. Yeah, so I think, you know, first and foremost, I think I was alluding to it a little bit earlier. When I said there's not one one solution that fits all, um, when you think about the challenge ahead and the transition, you really have to. We talk about the energy trilemma, which means you need to have the supply of reliable, affordable, and sustainable power to be able to um, continue to have uh, the right levels of electricity supply. One of the challenges that we face here in the GCC in particular is you've got one of the highest uh, consumptions per capita of electricity, right? So here in the GCC, it's about seven and a half percent growth um, over the next decade, which is close to 250 gigawatts is expected in terms of uh, increase in demand, right? So with that, as you do introduce renewables um, and those, those investments are absolutely essential, and they should continue. But with that, the deployment of gas power is a great way of augmenting that in an, in an effort to reduce um, emissions as you're ramping up the introduction of, of renewable sources into the grid. And particularly because gas power is, um, of all the fossil fuel power generation, it's the, it's the lowest in terms of emissions, carbon emissions. Um, it's also, fast and, and dependable in terms of being able to deploy that power quickly. And that's one of the biggest challenges as you start introducing renewables into, into your grid is the variability of that, of that source of energy, right? There's only so much inverter technology that you can introduce into a grid. And then you basically need synchronous power to be able to stabilize that. So, so we think that the gas Power generation has an important role to play in, in balancing that um, as you work towards um, further enhancing your grid technology and the, the digital capabilities of that grid to be able to have the visibility and to provide the stability needed. 
in the transition. So, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth there, but it sounds like you're almost referring to natural gas as the transition fuel as we move towards renewables and other technology. Do you do you think that's a fair assessment, or do you think there's other scope for gas as well? For instance, as we mentioned, as a feedstock for blue hydrogen. No, I, I absolutely do agree. I do think it is um, it, it is a source of electricity and fuel that can be used. Now, obviously, in the transition, but it's also it's also the opportunity as because once you have capability of burning a blended fuel such as hydrogen into a plant, right? You then have the ability as technology is, is allowing to go to 100%, right? So you have a pathway to get to close to zero and actually essentially zero um, once you're able to go to 100% hydrogen. So I, so I do think that that's an important uh, uh, technology as you're, as you're as you're reducing your carbon emissions in a country or in a grid or in a network in terms of the sources of fuels, uh, moving away from heavier fuels um, into into gas and then eventually blends and then eventually into 100% carbon free. So yes, without without putting words in my mouth, I would say it actually has an important role to play in that transition and and ultimately getting to into a zero carbon environment in the future. Let's bring this conversation a little bit more specific and talk about GE itself. I mean, you've already mentioned a couple, a couple of innovations here, the, the turbines that are already running on hydrogen. What other kind of technology are you working on, developing or adapting that can help support this transition and help the world decrease and decarbonize? Right. So I think I'll talk about in general what GE is working on and then more specifically about gas. But obviously, one of the most exciting um, technologies that we're working on is our offshore wind turbine. We actually have the largest offshore wind turbine called the Heliad X. Um, and that basically is leading the globe at around 60 to 64% capacity factor. So a very large uh, wind turbine that's able to produce a lot of electricity from an offshore wind source. Um, specifically, as we talk about technologies within gas, our, our, our latest technology is our H-Class, which is our largest, most efficient gas turbine. And as I mentioned today, that turbine is capable of burning 50% of blended fuel um, with, the, with the objective of getting towards 100% as we, as we progress through the, through the decade. These, these turbines today are actually um, have over, let's say 125 on order around the globe. We already have about a million operating hours globally. And here in the UAE specifically, uh, we have three of these turbines that are under installation and commissioning in Sharjah at the Hamreya IPP plant. That's a 1.8 gigawatt plant utilizing this latest technology. And, and to put it into, into terms, Simplistically, for us, layman terms, I would say you're reducing carbon emissions that would have typically come from a plant of that size by about 4 million tons. And that means basically taking off a million cars off the UAE roads annually. So it's a significant impact when you think about that type of gas technology being deployed. 
And then as we think about even in the future, once you start blending that and then going up to 100% hydrogen, what kind of an impact that can have. So it's significant in that technology. The other piece of this is obviously a lot of customers have invested and when they make investments in, in their power assets, they're usually looking at the life of that 25 year horizon or life cycle. So G has been investing in technology to um, upgrade existing assets, right? So as you think about existing power plants, what can you do? And there's two things, right? You can increase output. So you're able to produce more electricity using the same amount of fuel that you have today, which at the same time reduces um, the amount of emissions that's being emitted from that plant. And that, that, is, that is something that we've been deploying across the globe and here within the region. We have examples of that here in the UAE, in, in Qatar, um, where we've taken one of our 9F gas turbine plants and you've increased the plant by about 100 megawatts through these upgrades, but you've also reduced carbon emissions by 67,000 tons annually. So that, you know, again, simple terms, about 14,000 cars off the road in Qatar just by that by that uh, investment that's made in that upgrade. So those are those are some of the technologies. Obviously, um, the other piece uh, I would say is the continued investment in digital visibility and digital capability. As we think about looking and having the visibility of assets that are on a grid and then the ability to, to integrate and manage those assets. Um, those are all areas that GE is continuing to invest in and bring solutions to, to our customers. There's an interesting point that you raised at the end, I think, about digitalization. I remember I was speaking with the industry insider at Adipec, and what they mentioned was essentially when it comes to sustainability and the transition, you can't cut what you can't measure. As in, the oil and gas industry won't be able to improve unless it's got adequate measuring capabilities of all of its, of its greenhouse gas emissions. I think you mentioned it there. Do you, do you find that an important topic? Is that something that the dialogue is also turning to? Yeah, I think, I mean, in all of our discussions, you know, when you, when you talk to um, whether it's at a country level or a utility level, um, it, it always starts with, let's look at the entire network, right? Help us look at all of our assets. Give us the visibility into those assets and then tell us where do we need to upgrade and be able to reduce emissions? Where do we, where can we deploy the most efficient power? Where do we need the most variability um, and the ability to ramp up and ramp down? So, so all of those are um, important factors that you need the visibility to um, in order to be able to deploy and supply the right kind of solution. So, so yes, I think, um, you know, we have across the globe, we have monitoring diagnostic centers that are um, around the globe that are connected to all of our assets that we have um, deployed globally. And we have them dispersed geographically as well. So, so within, the, within each geography, um, we're able to visually see what's going on with every single power generator that we have on a, on a particular network. Um, some of that's used for predictive analysis. Some of it's being able to provide insights into those operators of those assets. And then 
And then again, for a utility or a country, they need the ability to look at their entire network, right? So as we deploy these kind of solutions, um, I think it's going to be critical that you're able to have the visibility, be able to measure it, and then and then understand where and how you're going to tackle the challenge, right? Because it's it's you know the the energy space and the power generation space, our assets are all over uh, dispersed in in utilities as well as industrials, and you need to be, the ability to be able to look at at all of those assets. So we're talking in a post-COP26, post-ADIPEC 2021 world, the conversation around net zero has never been as high as it is now. You've got the UAE announcing net zero by 2050. Saudi Arabia has said it will hit net zero by 2050. Pledges from other countries in the GCC and around the world all focused on the target of hitting net zero carbon emissions. What's GE's role in this? Where does GE fit into the puzzle and how can you help countries achieve the goal of net zero? Yeah. So, I, you know, again, I think the, the important piece is that every, every country has to sort of solve for that trilemma, right? Ensuring, ensuring that they have reliable, affordable, and sustainable power. So I think that's the starting point of every discussion in terms of your journey and how do we achieve net zero over that, over those tar target timeline, right? The, the solutions will vary. And I think it's important that we keep that in mind as we go through because geographically, every part of the world has different access and different sources to um, technologies that they've used in the past. So, you know, whether it's gas fired, whether it's onshore, offshore wind, whether we're talking hydro, nuclear, battery storage, hybrid solutions, and basically the, the, the grid and the digital applications that we were talking about earlier. I think all of that are things that GE bring to the table in terms of uh, having that discussion and looking for the best solutions to be able to apply. I think the other piece that we've been heavily focused on is our localization efforts that we do around the globe and particularly here in the region. So for years, we've been investing in capability and technology here in the, in the region to be able to support our customers. So, you know, servicing and maintaining uh, assets and being able to respond in a timely manner, critical. Um, and I think during the last two years, I would say uh, during the pandemic, it was even more evident and the ability to be able to respond, support, and react to those situations has been critical for our customers. To give you an example, we have a service center here in the UAE. It supports about 80 customers globally um, to 35 different countries around the globe. That team of about 100 people were operating throughout the pandemic without a single down day of downtime. So they were able to support about a thousand hours of repair work, critical um, for ensuring that those assets are repaired and then deployed and then um, back online supporting a country. We've also invested in training and technology to support um, our customers here in the region. And, you know, as another example, during the lockdown um, in parts of the GCC and specifically in Kuwait, um, we had teams that were on the ground that had been trained and were able to support with our, our on like, what we call our field services teams, which actually maintain um, and install our technology at, at different 
plants around the globe, but they were able to support all of the servicing needs that were needed during um, during the lockdowns that were going on. And that basically kept about 1500 megawatts on the grid, 10% of the country's uh, power generation needed to support their summer. So, so I think it's important to have the right technology. It's important to have the right um, context of what are the solutions that can be provided. And it's also important to have local capability available in order to be able to respond and support. And I think those are the areas that we're focused on um, in helping our customers in the region. I think, Joe, we're pretty much at the end of our time here. So I'd just like to give you the opportunity just to give us any final thoughts. If there's one takeaway that you would like to give to all our listeners, and now is your chance, what would you like to say? I would say that GE is uh, is committed to um, solving this challenge that we have. It's, it's a global challenge, but it's a responsibility that we all have to take. And I think GE is ready to engage in those discussions and continue to support and provide world-class technology and world-class solutions to achieve these goals. And, I, and we're absolutely committed in doing that um, with each of our customers. Thank you for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And on that positive note, I thank all our listeners as well. Thank you for joining me, Jay.